Good evening, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio. For Marcus Lopez, Corey Dubin, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. On tonight's show, an exclusive one-hour feature with longtime Indigenous elder, activist, and scholar, Dr. Henrietta Mann, on Becoming a Good Ancestor. You're in tune with American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio. You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone blue elk in the black of night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny blows To the bar who drum It's the warriors who are marching Our featured guest for tonight is Dr. Henrietta Mann from the Cheyenne Nation. Dr. Henrietta Mann was the founder of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribal College and presently serves as the board chair for the board of directors of the Seventh Generation Fund. Elder, activist, and scholar, Dr. Henrietta Mann was a keynote speaker at last year's Keeping the Home Fires Burning Conference for the Seventh Generation Fund in the heart of the Skituam Nation in Quarter Lane, Idaho. This is Dr. Henrietta Mann on being a good ancestor. I can't say much about older people except this gentleman that just honored us with his words. Some of us have been blessed with long lives. And I want you to be blessed with long lives. I want you to live until those teeth fall out of your head. (laughs) And the hair on your head turns as white as mine. Uh, I hope you keep your mobility though. But I want you to have long lives because you are very important for all of us. We elders who look to you to do the work, the very hard work that some of us can no longer do. And I think of those little grandbabies that you brought to us, those children, those beautiful children, all of the generations, all of them, and those yet to come. Oh my goodness, because you know, we have a long ways to go yet. And so it was, it was a journey for me to come here, to get here, and I was so looking forward to this. And then the closer it got to my speech, I thought, what am I doing here? I should have I just stayed in Southern Cheyenne country. But, you know, we're each of us on a journey, individually and collectively, a journey of life. And uh, we need to also be very cognizant of the fact that each one of us is really nothing but a cultural extension of generations upon generations of we don't have any trouble with languages we don't have to say are we indigenous are we first nations are we american indian are we native american we have our languages that tell us exactly who we are (laughs) 
Kamaavustania are the natural people of these, our beloved homelands, the ordinary people. And we come from good-hearted people, and those good-hearted ancestors wrapped us lovingly in our protective cultural ways, cultural blankets, cultural wrappings, and those are really good ways. They are ways that have carried us today and they will carry us to the end. And I've heard mention of our languages. You know, our languages are sacred and uh, it almost defies imagination for us to stop to think that they were given to us at creation. They, our languages are as old as time itself. And those languages are rooted in creation, in this earth, in this land, surrounded by this water, enveloped by this air, and warmed by the sacred heat of the sun. Creation, our languages are old. And I would have to ask, how dare those come to take those languages from us? How dare those people destroy our languages? Horrible that some of our languages are gone and that some are critically endangered. Those were given to us in that first day, that sacred day. Our cultures were also given to us and our cultures evolved over this land, over those journeys on that road of life that our ancestors followed our beginnings. Our beginnings began a long time ago. Our histories began a long time ago in the past that is still alive with us today, but had its beginnings ages ago. And as a former public school teacher, I never taught that our history as a country began in 1492. Never. We know it didn't. How sad that those books of America talk about beginnings not too long ago, 1492. And so the truth is, is that we are an ancient people, a very old people, who are the grandparent generation of our home continents, wherever they are. We're the oldest people. Our values, our cultural ways, all that makes us unique as all of these diverse nations of are the first on our respective homelands. We're an ageless people, and as ageless peoples, we are spiritually rooted in these, our homelands. You know, we, statistics, the Cheyenne, have this view of the world that when our children are first born, that they are like fragile little plants who are just beginning to put down their roots and they can be very easily be uprooted. And that is what the educational system and the melting pot philosophy has done to many of them and us. But they're fragile little plants. They have to be watered, they have to be nurtured, they have to be fed, in much the same way that you physically tend to your babies. Those freedom babies that we saw last night learning their languages, knowing who they are, but not having any documented paperwork in that place called Canada land. So as children, imagine 
you didn't have very strong cultural or spiritual roots. But as you grew older, those roots began to, to grow and to embed themselves in this soil that gives us life. And then as you grew older and became young people, they are likened to supple young willow branches. And we know that willows grow around streams where it's wet. And they're so supple that they form the skeleton of our sweat lodges. In our Sundance, our men wear those willow anklets, bracelets, crowns, bandoliers, willow. And it is from that willow that Bayer Aspirin found the ingredient for what it now markets in its aspirin. And then as we continue to mature through life now, at the stage where I would say most of you are, you became very strongly spiritual rooted. Your roots continue to grow. They're very strong. And you became like cottonwood trees, sacred cottonwood trees, that tree that serves as the center pole in the Sundance Lodge of Plains. So you're strong, strongly rooted in this land. It's a time that you develop those sheltering branches of protection to protect the life of your children, invite the elders to come sit in that cool shade, to build a willow shade, willows, cottonwood trees, cottonwood trees that in our Sundance represent the world the tree of life. And then, when you reach my age, it is said that I am now like a dried cottonwood branch in the sense that the teachings that I have acquired, acquired in my journey can be thrown into the fire of life for each one of you to learn from. Roots, deeply rooted people. And so we, we we are spiritually rooted. We've grown through those four stages of life. We've walked over those four ridges. So it is imperative that a part of being a good ancestor is to make sure that our children continue to develop those strong spiritual roots. We also have exceptionally strong value systems that makes us among the oldest people in the world. Our values emphasize courage, honesty, bravery, patience, humility, love, on and on. Good values that our grandparents passed on down to us because you know they serve as the role models of what being a good ancestor is. And for those maybe that were educated in those schools, those same schools to which we continue to give our children, it's not their fault that those roots have not been nurtured, in fact have been severed, and we come up with such words as assimilation, indoctrination, nothing more than directing us away from who we are, sadly from our good life ways, from our good value systems, from all that makes us unique as a peoples and, and, and good ancestors. 
And we were given our instructions, our, our, our natural instructions. We were told how we were to live. And for us as statistics, we had this very special, powerful being that was taught within the interior of Bear Butte for four years, where all of the sacred powers of the world assembled to teach this man how we were to be as Cheyennes, how we were to live, how we were to be organized. Those teachings come from this earth, the same earth that has given us, this earth that has given us life, instructions instructions that we still follow and that our descendants too must learn and there are those that were so sophisticated our brothers and sisters from the northeast who instituted democratic forms of government which served as model for the kind of government that the Vi'il, the bahana the suyapi the napiquans whatever we want to call it took and put into their documents, first of all, the Articles of Incorporation, and Articles of Confederation, and then the Constitution. But the Haudenosaunee gave that model of democratic ideals and republicanism, of a government by the people for the people. You know, we have, we come out of traditions of great philosophers, good ancestors, phenomenal law, knowledge and wisdom. You have every right to be proud of who you are and to pass that on down to the younger generations as good ancestors have always done and must continue to do. And finally, we all know how to live within the sacred circle of life. For us as statistics, the people alike are the people with the like hearts, known as Cheyenne. It is Grandmother Turtle that serves as, as the individual that holds up this earth. And everything about represents that circle. If we could remove every natural mountain, whatever, and level it out, and all of the natural things in our landscape, we would be standing in the center of a huge circle, a huge circle. And we know that our world is round because it really is one half of a dome and the other half is in the ground. It's there, a sacred circle, a globe. And we know how to live within that sacred circle as equal and divine partners where there is an absence of hierarchy where we're, we all have what I call heartline connections. My dad and my aunt used to tell me, it doesn't matter where you go, Henry. They said, there's always that line that runs from my heart to yours. And that's true. As I've traveled different places with the seventh generation, even into the United Nations. Oh, I thought that that was a wonderful experience to sit there with those headphones on that I saw on television and simultaneous translations. Wow, I got to do that. Or to be sitting in a classroom at the University of Sevilla in Sevilla, Spain, 
or in another classroom at the University of Leiden in Leiden, Amsterdam, or other places of the world that, that I have had the privilege of traveling to. But I was always very secure in one thing, that I had my heartline connection to my dad, to my aunt, and to the people to whom I belong. There's a great deal of security in knowing that, who your family is. And I just think that the Seventh Generation Fund is a wonderful family, an impeccable family. A family that knows its responsibilities, a family that knows what it is to be a good-hearted person, a good ancestor. As we were blessed abundantly. We are wealthy. We have traditional knowledge. We have ways of viewing the world. We have worldviews. We, we, we know what it is to live in respectful coexistence with all life. Our ways have taught us to be human. We are those human beings. And if you stop and look at it, that is profound humans. You're listening to longtime Indigenous elder, activist, and scholar from the Cheyenne Nation, Dr. Henrietta Mann, on being a good ancestor. She was the keynote speaker at last year's Keeping the Home Fires Burning Gathering in the Skichuam Nation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And now back to Dr. Henrietta Mann on being a good ancestor. It teaches those those ways teach us to live in, live in concert with everything in our environment. I'm always happy to come here because I am always so, uh, so happy to see you. But on the other hand, it makes me feel good when you recognize me and come up to shake my hand, give me a hug, give me a kiss. And whenever I go home on Sunday, I am going to be so renewed. I'm going to know I'm loved. And I want all of you to go home feeling that way. You know, to live as good relations to each other. What we need to remember is that we stand in sacred relationship on and with our lands. We have a strong attachment. I call it an umbilical cord attachment. It's never been cut. Never been severed, really. Not by you, by some, perhaps, but not all. And we have to make sure that our grandchildren maintain that same attachment to their homelands, to their homes, to, their, to the places that, that has given them life. And if we have to stand in good and proper relationship with everything in our environment, then Standing in that relationship requires living respectfully and with all of those things that exist within this very revered, this honored sacred circle of life. What is it the great philosopher Black Elk once said? He said, there's no power in a square. There's power in the circle. And within that circle, we know there that it is characterized by interdependence, interrelationship. And with that kind of a view, it is very inclusive. It includes everyone. No one is excluded. We all belong. 
We all live within this circle. And everything has its place and depends upon everything else for its existence. I looked at those children, those little freedom babies, and how they know that they come from the land and live in respectful relationship with the land and recognition that this land gives them life. I want every one of our children to be freedom babies. They deserve to be those freedom babies too. And so, what's Daniel? The human beings, the humble, upright, two-legged walkers with five fingers. We really are dependent upon everything for our lives. And we like to think that we're so independent. And of course, we strive to be independent. But we depend upon everything that exists, that, that great spirit, grandfather, put on this earth for us when we were created. And this aspect, at this point in time in our history, this understanding of this interdependent, inclusive, reciprocal world in which we live seems to be absent in the very basic understanding and thinking of global leaders and corporate America. And if they understood that, there are so many battles that we would not have to be fighting when it comes to saving our sacred sites from the north to the south across the oceans, it's, it's here, our sacred sites, for those resources that were put here for us to be used sparingly so that our grandchildren for the next seven generations and the next seven and on and on can share those resources, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's you know, anything that seems to be making some individuals wealthy measure differently than we measure our wealth. We exist within a, I say, uh, oceans of relations, kinship. You now we are kinfolk. It doesn't matter that will comes from a, a different nation that speaks a different language. We're related. We, we are all related. And let me very quickly illustrate that if we look very quickly at the four basic elements that make up everything in life. Different compositions, but makes up everything. And the first we know is Earth. And there was this man from Hawaii. He came to give me some red Earth. Now, Earth, you know, man or human beings or whomever, scientists or or whomever they are, have yet to find that place, perhaps in, in some far-flung galaxy, light years distance from this beautiful blue planet Earth where we might be able to live. No one has found it to date. I don't think they'll find it because we were given life here. And, and unfortunately, it's those that are out searching for another place to live that are building space shuttles for which they're going to be charging astronomical fares to go out in space to live. You know, we call those uh, the Vihil in our language, and the Vihil are, um, it's the same word for spider in our language, and so these, these, these spider people, it's not enough that they have polluted and desecrated our, our beautiful homelands. Now they're wanting to go and find some other place. 
Maybe they should. <laughs> but if they're going to stay here, they need to know there's something like interdependence and respect for the earth and all life. As has already been, as you have read in newspapers, see on television, we're experiencing some earth changes. And we've been brought about by those relatives of ours, those strangers who came to share this continent with us, uh, creating a very unstable earth we're beginning to more frequently encounter the negative impact of this escalating mindlessness in the very rapid and dramatic earth changes called climate change or global warming by whatever ways we defined it. Last year, and I'm sure it's sort of, it's rather unprecedented when we went into our lodge in Oklahoma on Friday night. A tornado struck it. And that rain came with such force that I've never seen before that, you know, I thought, are we gonna get blown from the face of Earth? And that's one of our sacred homes. That's our sacred home. It's the equivalent of our church. And uh, this lodge was erected on a buffalo grazing field. Our relatives, the buffalo, had lived there. They grazed there. Well, I made sure that, uh, that my apprentice had a good place. And when I put my sleeping bag down, I felt a little hole. And I was at, there was no way I could move, but I was at the end. And right next to me were our male dancers. So. I couldn't go and invade their space. You know, there might have been others that might not have been as respectful in invading someone else's sacred space. You know, if that were the case, we wouldn't be around the whole matter of having to protect our sacred sites. But I respected it. And when that wind blew and that rain came and it blew sideways, and I was trying to keep my woman covered. I got wet, and so finally there was nothing to do except to just crawl in my sleeping bag, and I lay on my side, and I, we were, I was on a slope, and that water began to take the soil with it, and the little hole that I had felt when I laid down grew and grew into a huge buffalo wallow and I was wallowing in that water. And there was nothing to do except to, to pray and to lie there for three hours at least. And uh, finally I uh, got up early enough to take my woman out of the lodge. And when the sun came up and we uh, went to see our dancers greet the sun, our lodge was leaning to the north. It had nearly been blown over. I've still been thinking about that. And uh, the men, our societies, had to get tractors and trucks, and they roped that lodge and tried to pull it back up right. I still wonder if that was the right thing to do or whether we all should have just walked out. That worries me. 
that was just an example of the kind of weather that we are experiencing and we are told is going to intensify, that it's going to become more abrupt. And where I live, we worry about those tornadoes. We've heard about the tornadoes in Moore, Oklahoma, where entire towns have been devastated and leveled. Tornadoes. We know that there are other weather phenomena in different parts of the world. We know that something is happening when all of a sudden there's are more of our homelands are becoming deserts? Is this the kind of world that our grandchildren deserve to be born in? Are we gonna be good ancestors and, and try to protect them from that? Are we gonna make those necessary changes in our life that is going to extend the life of this beautiful blue planet Earth? I wish to, I could say no, it's not the case. But we're reality-based people. We have to acknowledge that that is happening. And as good relatives, as good ancestors, we need to intensify our solemn stewardship responsibilities to this earth. Those stewardship responsibilities that we were given at creation. Stewardship responsibilities to the earth. Our first mother, our mother the earth the earth from whom we are made. And we know in our respective creation stories that we as human beings were made either from dirt, mud, soil, clay, dust, stardust, cosmic dust, or as we say, ma'amat, red salt, red soil. You know, there's no denying that we are earth and that earth is our mother and that we are the same color as this sacred red earth, sacred red earth paint. So we are earth, and there is also no denying that we are air. And we know that this air resides in our lungs. There's some within your lungs right now. There's, there's some in mine, perhaps not as much as yours anymore, but, but air. And we need that air in our lungs to keep them from collapsing. And according to some of our traditions, the wind spirits were called from their homes in the four sacred directions to come to give us the breath of life. And that was longtime indigenous elder, activist, and scholar, Dr. Henrietta Mann from the Cheyenne Nation, speaking on being a good ancestor at last year's Keeping the Home Fires Burning Gathering in the heart of the Skituam Nation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, County Radio. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
the Ashland Singers here on American Indian Airwaves Cowdy Radio. In the final segment of tonight's show, we go back to our featured special with longtime indigenous elder, activist, and scholar from the Cheyenne Nation, Dr. Henrietta Mann. Dr. Henrietta Mann is the founder of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribal College and presently serves as the board chair for the board of directors of the Seventh Generation Fund. Last year, Dr. Henrietta Mann was the keynote speaker of the Keeping the Home Fires Burning Gathering in the Skichuam Nation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And now, Dr. Henrietta Mann on being a good ancestor. Air is the sacred breath of earth. It's the, it's the breath of our mother, the earth. And we are really dependent upon this air. It's very oxygen for life. Not only is air necessary for life, it is necessary for speech. Therefore, even with their great wisdom, our oldest relatives associated breath with speech, breath with life, speech with life, and ultimately sacredness. That's why our languages are sacred and must be maintained. And we know this because this knowledge was handed down through the generations by good ancestors. And we know that language and cultures and life are all intertwined and inseparable. Language and culture in particular, you can't separate them. You can't have one without the other. And we know that words are sacred and that they carry a power of their own. They communicate thoughts in much the same way I'm communicating with you. And these words carry a power of their own. We know they're powerful. And our teachings tell us that we must be very careful about how we use our words because words have the power to hurt and to inflict pain and words also have the power to bring about happiness and great joy. As I stop and, and think about what I observe about me, it seems to me that there are some of our younger generations and, and well, even adults, let's say politics, who wage war Word wars, wars with words. There's that violence with words. We're not that kind of a people. And our children should be taught that, that words are sacred and that they are powerful. And that if you really, truly love a person, you need to stop and think before you say something that might cause them pain. And words can inflict great mental and emotional pain that has resulted in some of our children having very negative concepts of themselves, self, negative self-concepts that have resulted not just for them but for us in very demeaning language and stereotypes. The ongoing battle or the use of the word uh, for that football team in the East Redskins those mascot names 
and words that I know many of us grew up hearing in terms of dumb, lazy, backward, dirty Indian. Our children don't need to be receiving or targeted with those kinds of words. I think we need to be teaching the children of our, our sh those strangers who came to live with us about the power of words. And our grandparents use their words sparingly, very carefully. So much, in fact, that has resulted in the stereotype of the stoic Indian, supposedly those of us that don't know how to talk. Can you imagine how long it must have taken our ancestors, how long it took for them to design interdependent cultural and linguistic systems that provide quality lives and means to survival? Can you imagine the time it took to develop new words for automobiles, airplanes, trains, for the people who came to live with them, for the ways that they brought with them. Now we're, we're, our languages are very dynamic. They're continually changing. How long it must have taken and, and to develop a new word for computer, or cell phone, or iPhone, all of these things all of these social media instruments. You know, our languages are, are exceptionally critical because they, within them are embedded codes of persistence and purpose. It's painful to think of all the knowledge that has gone with our elders or knowledge keepers. Embedded codes. All we need to do is look at the military code talkers who used indigenous languages to win two world wars, codes. And we talk about earth, we're being made of earth, being made of air, and then there would be no life on earth without the heat and the light of that colossal star that we know as the sun. Ishe provides us with energy, it warms the earth. And we know that today some solar farms are harnessing the sun's light, alternatives to the burning of those fossil fuels. But we also know that without this heat and warmth that this planet Earth would be cold, dark, and devoid of life. And at a very minuscule level, the human body, our bodies, your body, intricately produces human energy, resulted in warmth and a mm, normal, temperature of around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. You're warm. <laughs> You've got that heat source within you. That fire is hidden within. And even though we carry that fire within, we are really also dependent upon sunlight and firelight to sustain ourselves. That sacred fire felt so good this morning. The sacred fire of life, those sacred fires that burn in our ceremonies the sacred fires that Will told us about being carried from the homelands of his nations to a new place. And we know that heat is very powerful. We know that from those heated rocks in a sweat lodge that utilizes its powerful source to purify the participants physically and spiritually. All I know is that Jerry Girl Small runs a real hot sweat. <laughs>
but she purifies us in her sweat. And so we need this heat for life. And, fi and fire, just like air and earth, are the basic kinship building blocks to this one universal family that exists within this sacred circle of life. Such kinship ties obliterate all differences that exist between human beings and the many, many different peoples of earth, such as the water people, the tree people, the ant people, the flower people, the hummingbird people, the buffalo people, the star people, on and on and on, all of those peoples. They're not just ants or bugs or insects or trees. They're peoples. They're made up from the same things that we are, only the composition is different, resulting in one gigantic kinship system in which everything is related. And finally, there is that real, that fourth and vital element of water, H2O that combination of oxygen and hydrogen that falls from the clouds as rain, hail, or snow, which flows in rivers and streams, or stands in ponds, lakes, or oceans, or is stored in deep underground aquifers. And water in its solid form is ice, and it can be gaseous as steam or fog, water. We are taught that water is life, and life is water. We're water. My goodness, if you stopped and looked at the composition of your body, you got more water than, than earth, air, or fire. You're mostly water. Babies, when they are born, I am told, are about 90% water. They're conceived in water. And for nine months, they are cherished, blessed, and protected by the womb waters of their mother. And then as you matured from being small plants to willow, to willow branches, to cottonwood trees, and get to the point of being a dried cottonwood branch than I have, then my composition of water, unfortunately, is decreasing. I'm told I'm about 66% water now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so our bodies have those rivers and streams within, just like those that flow upon our earth, our mother, the earth. And the liquid in the blood called plasma, which is primarily water, causes the blood to flow throughout our body's cardiovascular system. We have rivers within. And this flow is a life force upon which we are dependent and can truly call life blood. And as is true for earth, air, fire, and now water, these four comprise all life. And we as humans share this basic commonality because we're made of all four. And so is everything else in life. We live in that interconnected, interdependent, interrelated kinship system. And as stewards of this earth, we have a responsibility to maintain earth. And everyone and everything is alive and stands in sacred and proper relationship to everything else in this relational world. We must emulate our ancestors who serve as powerful role models and also be good-hearted relatives. 
who sustain our kinship obligations and responsibilities. Like them, we must focus upon our life's purpose, which is nothing short of being a good ancestor. And I realize that that is probably easier said. Takes discipline to really be a good relative. It's going to take a lot of discipline and courage to, to, to be that relative to our mother, the earth, who is in a painful state right now. And we know that we each have an obligation to walk gently on this earth and to honor all life that lives in this spacious circle. You know, we have to maintain that del a delicate balance between dependence and interdependence. And we are expected to become self-reliant, confident people. But being a good relative also means being consistently concerned about the whole, everything. And as indigenous peoples, our greatest assets are our cultures, our spirituality, our languages, our environmental ethic, especially as it concerns our lands, our sacred places of power. You can never measure them in terms of dollars or cents. We are a wealthy people in terms of our cultures. Something I think that maybe the philanthropic world or the corporate world doesn't understand. We may be impoverished and we may live in that cycle of poverty in which we have been locked for ever so many years, but we're wealthy. Our grandparents were good ancestors and they gave us, they handed down to us abundant wealth. We don't measure wealth in terms of that yellow stone that we were, we were told was placed on earth in many places. And sweet medicine, our great prophet told us the Cheyennes that these strangers, these that came to live with us would, would be looking for this certain stone. And that stone was found. It was found in California, which was then Mexican territory in 1848, resulting in the 49ers. Those 49ers that carried cholera across, across Cheyenne lands. That stone, well, that Yellowstone was found in the Pikes Peak region of Colorado Territory in 1858. That same Yellowstone was found in Montana, Idaho Territory in 1852, but it was not made public until 1862. And that Yellowstone was found in the Black Hills of Dakota Territory in 1874 by that same individual who led his forces to the greasy grass. And today is that anniversary of that man and his forces. But he led his, an expeditionary force into Dakota Territory and found gold there. Well, we know that there was a very aggressive westward expansion. And we know that American imperialism resulted in a different kind of economy, wherein indigenous resources became increasingly scarce for us and for those of us who were dependent upon the bison, the wholesale slaughter of this relative thrust us into starvation, 
a situation exacerbated by the paucity or unavailability of rations promised in treaties, and we became destitute in a country that measures wealth differently. We know we need it in terms of our communities, but it's got to be main maintained in a balance that balances against our natural, cultural, and linguistic as well as spiritual wealth. You're listening to longtime Indigenous elder, activist, and scholar from the Cheyenne Nation, Dr. Henrietta Mann, on being a good ancestor. She was the keynote speaker at last year's Keeping the Home Fires Burning Gathering in the Skichuam Nation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And now back to Dr. Henrietta Mann on being a good ancestor. And we know that uh, the strangers that came to live with us with their agrarian uh, uh, orientation uh, had their Indian agents and their missionaries who strenuously objected to the amount of time that, that the people spent at their ceremonies rather than attending church services or, or doing farm work. And farm work gave way to ceremonial gatherings, especially those directed toward world, world renewal we will be holding our renewal ceremony next week when I get home in Oklahoma. But we have to observe them. That's our stewardship responsibility. That's the, those are the instructions that we were given, our ceremonies, the ways that we have of renewing the earth. And we continue to be faithful in that regard, and our ceremonies continue. But you know, of course, then there were cultural barriers that inhibited the understanding of those early missionaries and those uh, farm agents and the government, resulting in some ceremonies being deemed as religious offenses. There was a circular passed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 1930 in the, er, the 1930s that called the Sundance and other such ceremonies, religious offenses. In a country that prides itself on being a democratic nation, one of the most powerful nations in the world, that has yet to extend the same protection for American Indian sacred sites that it should be doing under the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. So in the work that you do as nonprofits, being a good ancestor is balancing the spiritual and cultural development of your peoples with that of economic developments. We have a lot of assets. You have a lot of assets. And of course, the most important of them are your human resources, your children. And so we need to make sure that our children learn their value systems, their ways, their languages, everything that makes them very unique and special and that has carried all of us to today so that they too can live wonderful lives and it's our responsibility as good ancestors to do that. We remember and know much about our world. Our grandparents knew even more and our phenomenal knowledge is preserved in collective memories beginning with creation. Ceremonially, 
we go back to creation itself. Creation is ever present with us in terms of knowing our beginnings and our origins as a people. Those same kinds of stories that we have to pass down to our children. Their literature, oxymoron, literature is supposed to be written, but oral literature. And we know that these stories have informed and delighted numerous generations of children and more children for all time. And so we live in a world of interdependence. We live in a world of cultural wealth. We live in a world where we are expected to be good relatives to one another, to be as good ancestors as our grandparents' world. And they want us. They know that living in the time that we do, that it is sometimes not possible for us to replicate the world in which they lived. Would any of us have wanted to live during the Wounded Knee Massacre? or the twin massacres of Sand Creek and the Washita, or in California, following the heartless gold rush days? And would any of us want to endure the lawn walk, the trail of tears, the walk back north to our beloved homeland, or the Fort Robinson outbreak? And we know without a doubt that our ancestors would make that sacrifice again, but they also know that we, had to continue to carry on their ways and their languages and like them, be good ancestors, to be strong, prayerful people, to be respectful, to be kind, to live those values that made our grandparents who they were and who you are today. You are those good ancestors. You know the kinds of responsibilities you have to those that come after you. And I have a lot of faith that you're going to do exactly that. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to open another conference, another Keeping the Home Fires Burning. Be good ancestors. That's all that our grandparents want us to be. The moment of silence is over. And that was longtime Indigenous activist, elder, and scholar Dr. Henrietta Mann speaking at last year's Keeping the Home Fires Burning Gathering in the heart of the Skituam Nation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And that concludes our show for tonight here on American Indian Airwaves County Radio. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Henrietta Mann. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Ashland Singers, and the band Blackfire. A special thank you to Matt Perez. American Indian Airwaves County Radio is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California, and County Radio in Goleta, California. For Marcus Lopez, Corey Dubin, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. And for the innocent you can't justify Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains
lies and the empty promises We take a stand on the land that you tried to bury us For all the pain and all the suffering We take a stand We take a stand We sleep caged against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread the moment of silence is over.